Hello and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I am the tech editor at Resonant Advisor. Synthy Crystal has been a low-key but stalwart presence in German dance music since the 1990s. By age 20, she'd released on Low Spirit, the label held by German rave icon Westbam. But it wasn't until about 2014 that Crystal started to receive international attention for her efforts. That's when she pitched a group of ambitious up-and-coming producers on starting a contemporary house label called Besta Modus, whose rapid success led to a sprawling network of sub-labels and encouraged Crystal to go deep on improving her own production methods. She joined Elisa Stolman in the RA studio a few weeks ago in Berlin to talk about what she's learned from her decades as a DJ and what she was able to teach herself about songwriting and making music. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Cynthia is up next. Lisa, as I often do, I'd like to start this interview just with your personal background and your history as a DJ and producer. So can you just tell me a little about how you got started in music? Yeah, so I lived back then close to Frankfurt in a town close to, um, I think Saarbrücken is the bigger town. And this is why I started shaping up my music taste, I think. I was like 14, 15 when I started listening to music that's not pop music because uh, my older cousin gave me always like his tapes from the music he liked and was obviously lots of stuff from like Frankfurt, Sven Fade and stuff like that. Yeah, and then I started um, buying records and I was really lucky in 1996 that one of my favorite record stores asked me to work there. Um, the record store is called Hamti Records. It still exists in Saarbrücken and yeah, I think I was always really lucky with stuff and being at the right time, at the right place. And yeah, then I started DJing as well. And from the record store, one day they asked me, oh, are you are you also playing music? I was like, yeah, a little bit at home and stuff. And they were like, yeah, we organized your first gig. And I was like, wow, are you serious? And I was like, wow, this is okay. I have to think about it. I was getting nervous. And it was, um, what was it? I think it was Carnival 19... 97 and I had to play from like six o'clock in the afternoon till eight and it was really funny because the DJ after he was sick so I had to play like four hours at my first gig and it was crazy I think I was sweating so much and first time on a big sound system and stuff and I think I did quite well because they asked me to be a resident there at the at the club and I used to play on the small side floor, like all night long, from like midnight to five o'clock in the morning. And I think it was a pretty good school for me because I started with very 
deep stuff, went over electro, a little bit of techno to house, and also a little bit of like early trance music and stuff. So I think it was a really good school for me to learn how to build up a set and how to work a floor, so to say. And yeah, and also in this club, we had a lot of... Um, also called we had a lot of guest DJs like Alan Alien and Heiko Laux and Sven Fade and Chris Leaving and all those names, you know, back in the days. And then once there was a guy called Westbam. He was from Berlin. He saw me playing and he was like, wow, I have to book you. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know how it is. Uh, never make deals in a club. And I was like, yeah, let's see if it's going to happen. And then two weeks later, they called me and they're like, yeah, um, yeah come to Berlin and play and I was like yeah cool and um, yeah this is how it all kind of started for me and then I made a record for its label and started to play internationally and um, yeah that's pretty much the the history. So gr growing up in Saarbrück and did you have a lot of exposure to dance music as a listener you mentioned who was it was it your older brother you said? That. No, my older cousin. Older cousin. Okay, so, and he was listening to Sven Veit and stuff. So was it very common to come across dance music as a casual teenager, casual listener, someone learning about music? I mean, my parents, they always been into music and I bought all these top 50 kind of records. And you could even find old Steve Sir Curly stuff on there. And I was like, wow, this is really cool because it's like, just about the rhythm and also the singing wasn't so aggressive like as in pop music and stuff and then of course I mean it was the heydays of electronic music you know like house music techno and all that stuff started in the early 90s and I was really lucky that in 1994-1995 my cousin who was older he was pretty much living in Frankfurt there Omen and all these The Box and Dorian Gray and stuff and he was bringing me loads of tapes and stuff also we had um, some radio stations that played this kind of music because it was just new and everyone was like really crazy about it so for me it was really the best time to grow up and have all these um, yeah of course have my cousin like feeding me with this new kind of music and I mean Sven Fate back then he was playing all kinds of stuff he was playing also some pop music some Latin stuff and house and techno just everything he liked and yeah so back then it was really easy for me to dive into this kind of stuff. Did a lot of uh, teenagers go to raves as well? Yes yes I remember I mean back then I was um Maybe it sounds funny, but it was horse riding and we were a group of like 10 girls. And when we were 16, we were always going out together and it was just like so cool. We were all in this, in this kind of music and it was really nice to just go with a big group of girls. And we were like rave tourists, you know, we were based there. We went to Paris, it was only like two hours far from, from where I lived. And we, we went there and we saw, I saw very young Honey Dijon playing there with DJ Wild and it's it's crazy or um, I just met um, Jennifer Cardini in the plane like the other week and I was like girl it's so funny I saw you playing like 20 years ago and like you know Rex Club and even Smuggy and all these people and it's still so cool to see they're still doing their thing you know and I was like wow cool I was there like right at the start and yeah, and also from there, we went to Kassel, we went to Frankfurt, we went to Stuttgart and all these cities that were full of clubs and like full of raves. And it was just an amazing time. So um, I'd also like to ask about Humpty Records very quickly, which is yes. the record store you mentioned where you yes. worked, right? Were they a dance music store primarily? 
Yeah, so in Saarbrücken we had Humpty and on the other side there was a small branch of um, Hardwax where Prosumer worked and Muratepoli and Roga 23. And I was working for Humpty. That was a bigger chain. They had different um, yeah, different stores and like also Frankfurt, also Stuttgart and stuff like that. And we were specialized in dance music, like house, techno, also some trance music. And in our store, there was another guy who was taking care of uh, hip hop. There was also like a small section, but I would say it was 90% dance music, just records. And were the other guys who worked there, well, I'm assuming they were other guys, were they the guys, also, of course, yeah. back then. <laughs> were they also all DJs as well? Yes, they were all DJs, um, especially the owner. He he was, or I mean, he's still one of the best techno DJs, like technically. And I think I learned a lot of a lot from him about technique, mixing and stuff like that. But they were so much older. I mean, I was 16, 17, 18 when I worked there and they were like, 33 and for me it was like oh my god they're so old oh my god you know and now I'm like also like over 30 I'm like what I'm so young you know <laughs> it's just really funny so how does a 16 year old get hired at a record store that's a coveted job you know it's not easy to get yeah especially as I mean back then it was even worse with like women in electronic music but um I think I was always like a really fun person to hang out with and always really open and stuff and one of the guys who was working there he uh, he was always really I don't want to say impressed but he was like he was always really happy to see me because obviously not a lot of girls were shopping there so they treated me like a princess when I when I was there like always giving me like the best records and check out this and did you hear about this and I was really open and thankfully they said hey, we, we need someone working there at the weekends and would you be open for doing it? I mean, they paid me in records, um, which was really good for me. But um, I think I was just lucky and maybe it was just about personality and I thought, okay, she might be young, but she's very open and she already knows some bits. I mean, of course, I didn't know everything, but uh, you learn a lot when you are in the store because you're listening to the latest music like every week. And I think that also really shaped my taste of music. It can be uh, a kind of fun to be the only girl in a group of guys sometimes, which we'll we'll get back to later. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before we get there, I would. Uh, you mentioned your you released with um, with Low Spirit, which is West Band's label. Yes. And can you tell us a little about your first releases and how you started making music? Yeah, so I started making music. I think I bought an MC three or three, like a. It was called like a groove box in, God, must have been 1998, 1999. And I had an Atari with Cubase 2.0 in black and white, I think. It was really funny. But back then we didn't have YouTube and all that stuff. And none of my friends was really producing. So I bought some magazines where they kind of explained it a little bit. And it was mostly like try and error. But I think I got some ideas together and also in like 99 I finished school so I was going back home to my hometown Berlin and uh, started to study and here I met some other guys who were releasing on the label Low Spirit um, and one of these guys one of these guys he he was like wow so you're also making music I was yeah I'm doing it but I could need some help you know because I'm just I told everything myself and and you can get there, but it takes a long time. And he was like, don't worry, I have a friend. He's super good at engineering and stuff. We take your ideas. 
this friend was living in Munich and um, so we went there. He had a proper studio and he was pretty much taking my ideas and he was helping me engineering it and I learned so much from that as well how to use like um, machines and instruments and stuff but yeah so this is how I really started getting into producing music but then of course the more help I had the more tips I got from other people the better my own production skills got and I think I made like three records there three or four records there yeah did you notice a change in your bookings? Did that set off a busier touring schedule for you in that period? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I was then signed to the label and the label, I have to say, was quite, I don't want to say commercial, but it was a bit more like accessible, I would say. Also, the label organized all these love parades and maydays in Dortmund. And so, of course, that they, they took me with them on tour. You know, I was playing in Japan, was playing in the Netherlands, a lot in Germany. And um, and how old were you at this point? Uh, I was 19 or 20, something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Really shy enough. girl. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so what happens next after you've done these releases? Um, you're no longer releasing with low spirits. So I'm guessing that how, how did you transition into the next phase of your career? Yeah. So I think in 2003... The record sales broke in, I think, because there was Napster coming up. The MP3 was getting bigger. Also, the um, yeah, this kind of music, electronic music, was was a little bit on a down. So also, I didn't feel really comfortable with the label anymore. So I left, and um, also I finished my studies. So I had my first job. I wanted to concentrate on that a little bit, and then I think in oh, when was that? I think I restarted it. Yeah, so I stopped in 2003, 2004. You stopped music altogether as a, a... No, I was still DJing, but I stopped a bit producing because I didn't really know what I wanted or where I wanted to go to with my music. Yeah, I think I restarted again in 2006 because I was starting or I started throwing illegal parties with one of my best friends in Berlin. And there I was like, cool, so now I have a new home, you know, I have something to work for. So I really want to get back into music. Then I made the switch from like super old from the Stone Age kind of Cubase and my Atari. So I bought a MacBook uh, for 3 trillion euros and uh, Logic. Yeah. And then I was getting into Logic and... Um, trying that out but then of course it took some time to like translate my knowledge from Cubase into Logic and stuff and I didn't really have some releases I think I was releasing like one track but was also not really happy about it and um, yeah but I think that was like kind of the second start of my career because I was trying to get known in Berlin as a DJ or as a good DJ I think um, yeah, I was playing a lot here. Then we were uh, we were throwing those illegal parties here, which was so much fun. Now I'm thinking back um, to that time. And yeah, then also in 2009, I was part of Kind of Music for a little bit and they wanted to have some tracks from me but also in 2009, I was, um, I was pregnant. So I had my daughter and... I was still making music, you know, I was still playing. It's it's such a big part of my life, so I could never stop it. But it was just slowing a bit down. But still, I was, I think, kind of well-respected in Berlin, was playing there. and um, But then I think the whole thing really changed for me when, because um, my husband back, back then, he was using Ableton. And for me, I just knew it from another ex-boyfriend. He was using it for his live setup. 
And I was like, yeah, this is only for playing live, you know, just uh, not knowing what I'm talking about, of course. And then, uh, yeah, my ex-husband, he had it. And I was like, yeah, let me just have a look. And I was like, wow, this is so cool because you can jam and you can get a result like so easily and I was like yeah I'm gonna try it out so every time he was at work my daughter was sleeping I was like yeah, I'm just gonna get his laptop you know so, um, working on some some stuff and I think I'm coming from a really technical background so it was kind of easy to get into it also these days you have loads of tutorials and stuff like that and it was yeah it was so much fun and then um, a year later I met the boys from Best Modus and that that was actually the point when it really started for me and it was really like an eye-opening experience because we started the label Best of Models and I was like wow so now I have really my own home where I can release my own music I can do whatever I want it's really something that it's worth working for so and I think this is just when my career really really picked up okay cool so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to a couple of these uh the things you've talked about here because yes, sure. so, we've covered a lot of ground <laughs> yeah the first bit is you mentioned that you were studying and you had uh your first like real job yeah that you want to focus more on um what were you studying what did you end up working in yeah so i studied software development also funny thing again as the only woman in my class and then i had my first job i was working for blackberry I'm not sure if uh, ah. people know this. Um, and yeah, I was doing some stuff for like servers for big companies, was also working on some apps and stuff. And like, yeah, I was just doing like some software kind of stuff. So this is what you mean when you say you had some technical knowledge that could yeah. help the transition. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In what ways? How did you notice that? Like you're just comfortable using a DAW and a, and a computer and thinking in a mathematical way, sort of? Yeah, when I'm thinking back, my, I think my dad bought his first computer in 1990. And he, yeah, I just remembered like it was yesterday. He was like, yeah, I think this thing with those computers and stuff, it's going to be really big. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, maybe my dad's right. And he bought all these magazines with uh, small software programs. And I had a... Uh, C64 I think it was like very popular computer back then and I was using these programs and I was I mean I had no uh, developer background of course but then I was like yeah what if I change this number let's see what's gonna happen and then they had some kind of um I don't know, they had some kind of like, uh, how do you call it? Um, just some animations was suddenly going backwards or was smaller and stuff like that. I was like, oh, this is really cool. So that was like the first time I really worked with computers and stuff. And my dad was always like, yeah, use it. And if you have questions, you can ask me. And then I had um, writing software where you could just like insert a text or write your own homework, for example, and stuff like that. So I was always really open with that. And yeah, my dad is a really technical person. He's an engineer. And uh, also my sisters, they're really... I think it's just coming from the from our family. We were always really technically. My my sister has a motorbike. She's like uh, repairing it herself, for example. You know, we were always into this kind of stuff. And also my mom, she's a technical... How do you call it? A technical designer. I'm not sure if that's the right word. But yeah, we were always in all this like technical stuff. And my, my parents made sure I'm not scared of like technical things you know were you already into coding and software development by the time you graduated high school and went to university <laughs> no not at all I was um, I mean I was also doing a lot of sports so I had a horse and I was doing it's not triathlon but with five different things I'm not oh, sure wow. how it, okay. it's fi not five at long, but 
quadratlon, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was pretty much triathlon with like, but with five different things. So I had a horse, and I was doing lots of sports. And uh, yeah, when I graduated at school, my um, I had an extra course where they offered coding, and I did it, and it was a lot of fun for me. Also, my teacher said I'm really good in with like uh, thinking about around corners, if that makes sense. And he asked me what do you have planned after school? And I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe do something with horses, you know, just like every girl, you know, just wasn't sure what to do. And he was like, no, 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 I think you should do coding. And I was like, oh my God, no. Because um, I had in my head, like all the guys doing it had like long hair. They were really into heavy metal and stuff like that, which was true 80%, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it was a really good advice and I'm still thankful for that. I just uh, met him the other day when I visited my parents and he was like, yeah, are you still making music and like coding? I was like, yeah, man, it was a really good advice. And um, yes, I was not into it, but he gave me this tip. And I was like, okay, cool, let's uh, study then software development or see at least how far I can get with that. And I liked it. And it's, um, yeah, my friends always call me Little Miss Independent. And with that job, you are super independent. You can work from like any place in the world. And it's uh, in high demand, this job. So yeah, for me, it was really good to do this do you still work in coding or no I quit my job like in 2014 um, I'm still doing updates every year when I'm going kind of to school for like a week just to not lose the ground or not lose my skills because I mean now it's going really really well with my music stuff but you never know it could be in like three four five years no one wants to listen to me anymore my tracks suddenly get shit or whatever so it's always good to have something to fall back to totally uh, yeah so i'm happy to have this background but i'm not doing it but uh yeah my old boss is like yeah whenever you want to come back you know we're here open arms <laughs> that's yes. a that's a nice thing to follow uh, yeah have in the yeah it makes me a lot more relaxed you know because with music it's and also in general when you're self-employed you have all these insecurity and stuff like that but for me it's a bit different because I know okay if everything really breaks down and I can't do it anymore or I get sick or something could also be you know it's really good to fall down on like a proper job and that makes me really confident also a bit more relaxing maybe than other people yeah I, yeah. yeah the precarity is is less um the precarity takes less of a toll on you yeah for sure yeah um, was there when you first started studying coding and working at BlackBerry, were you doing it thinking that this would be your main career and that DJing was sort of a, a hobby that you used to enrich your life? Yes, yes. For me, I, I never wanted to be like a full time DJ. I just did it as a hobby, uh, a hobby. And yeah, I like to do music and stuff. But I was always... Maybe also from my education, my parents always said, yeah, it's good to have something secure on the side and stuff like that. And I like coding, I like my team. So for me, it was more like having this job and then doing DJing on the side is fun. And also a lot of my other DJ friends, they did it, you know, although they were playing like gig bigger gigs and stuff, they were working in um, graphic design or in record stores and stuff like that. So it was quite common to have like to rock like a normal job and then do DJing on the side and yeah so for me it was just normal and I thought okay this that's it I, I'm just gonna do it until I find something else maybe or I don't know. Um, you also mentioned that you moved to Berlin somewhere yeah. in this period when did you move to Berlin and why? 1999 yeah because I'm from here and then uh, for me it was quite clear once I finished school I could just go back home. <laughs> 
So you also mentioned that after you moved to Berlin, you started doing um, free parties or illegal parties or organizing your own parties. Can you tell us about those parties? Um, yeah, I met uh, one of my friends through coding and stuff like that. And he was, um, I think it started with his birthday party, which got a bit out of control in his flat in Friedrichshain. And suddenly we had like 300 people there and also a little visit from the police. Nice. And But I think it was in 2004, but we thought it was really really funny and we were like yeah let's throw parties cool so we mostly we squatted old places back then it was still possible to do that but uh, so squatting places that were empty residential buildings yeah. or something like that yeah. or office buildings and yeah just whatever we could get like empty spaces and what parts of town did this normally happen uh, in? east yeah okay. yeah yeah because uh there were still so many abandoned places empty houses and uh We were uh, location scouting. Yeah, we were location scouting so much. And we found a lot of like really, really cool places like this empty coin making factory in at Janowitzbrücke behind the Chinese embassy, I think it is. That was really the best place we had. And we were doing like parties two or three times there. It was just like a shithole, to be honest. We had to put like a bar in, mattresses against the windows so no one could hear the sound and stuff like that. We made it soundproof and we got it. But this was like kind of, it wasn't a legal party. We, we tried to make it legal. So it was, um, it belonged to the government. So we went there and we were like, yeah, we want to do an exhibition with a little bit of music in the background. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. Cool, you can have it. And we were like, yes, cool. Got it. And then... I remember we lost electricity in the middle of the night and I was was responsible responsible for the electricity because there was actually no electricity at all but we got it from the neighbor house and the guys who installed the electricity box they told me okay just in case you lose you lose it just press this button and it will be back on and I was like yeah of course it's not gonna happen you know but then in the middle of the night suddenly everything was dark black and people were screaming I was like shit okay how does it work okay. again me running down to the cellar pressing whatever kind of button music went back on lights went back on for like two seconds everyone was screaming and then it went off again I was like ah oh, no so press the other button and then everything was back and people were just like freaking out it was so nice it was yeah such a nice party and yeah we've been throwing it for a couple of years but then um yeah it also got a bit harder to do this kind of stuff and i also remember i mean we were always lucky so the police came twice at eight o'clock in the morning when everything was pretty much done you know we made our money we got our expenses back and stuff once they took the mixer and of course it was me who had to pick it up because I was again the only girl in the crew and they said yeah you just go there you know just like wear something nice and you will get it back and I mean police in Berlin is always really nice and a lot of them they're also going out so they're like okay nothing broke and okay you made a party whatever uh, pay 50 euros you get the mixer back so that was was really good back then but then of course it got a lot harder Also, like, the crew back then was a bit falling apart from, like, one guy getting married, the other one moving away, the other one, yeah, starting a proper job. And, uh, yeah, so we stopped that. What kind of music were you playing there? <laughs> It was really funny. So my best friend, he was more into punk music. So we had one punk floor, which was cool. funny, and one floor for electronic music. And by the end of the night, we had the punk kids on the techno floor. And um, yeah, the, the, the techno kids, so to say, on the, on the punk floor. And it was like all mixing up. And it was also like the start of like electro clash, you know, when everything was like clashing and being mixed and stuff. And yeah, it was quite fun. 
Yeah, there was a little bit more of a, a pop or disposition to Electro Clash, like more vocals and singing and traditional yeah, songwriting like that. Yeah. yeah, guitars as well. Yeah. Okay, so what happened after the, the free party period once the crew had sort of disbanded? Yeah, I mean, I made kind of a name in Berlin as a DJ or like a well-experienced DJ. Also, I mean, some people said I was playing good music. So um, I played in like different clubs in Berlin and um, yeah, it was close to 2009 then. And I was hanging out with the guys from Kind of Musik for a bit and they just started their project Kind of Musik and they said, yeah, it would be nice to have a girl on board and uh, we like you. We were hanging out and stuff. Why don't you want to be part of the crew? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's nice. Uh, but... I was pregnant back back then and also had a residency at a club called The Villa. And The Villa was run by the same guys who took over Stadtbad later. So I played there and yeah, I think people liked it. They booked me a lot. And yeah, then I had my daughter. So I was like, okay, kind of music. It's not going to happen right now. It's um, yeah, just going to concentrate on my daughter. And I think I can't spend too much time on like your project. That That happened after the free party thing. When you got pregnant, were you worried that you wouldn't be able to have music as such a big part of your life anymore? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I knew that I could never ever cut out music completely out of my life. But I was, of course, a little bit worried if I would still play gigs and stuff. But also my husband back then, he was working at the club where I had a residency at. So I knew we would both still be in like the electronic music scene. And um, But I had friends and stuff. So I mean, I knew, okay, let's see, let's just see what's going to happen. So if it's, if it's working out, I will still play. But if not, yeah, let's just see what's, let's just go with the flow and see what's going to happen. I didn't want to make too many plans but then of course I was also a bit scared that it's gonna change my life completely and I don't have my I don't want to say my freedom or that I don't that I'm not able to go out it's also maybe sounds funny when I say I'm not able to go out anymore but it sounds like I'm just like going on raves for like three days every weekend no but uh, I mean of course it's life-changing and uh, I was a bit scared what's gonna happen, but my daughter was from right from the start so easy. So after three months, I had my first gig again. I was like playing for two hours, then rushing home, of course. And so I was like, cool. I mean, I can combine it with the right organization. I can just combine it and do what I love. Yeah. Did people? What were people around you's reaction? Did they tell you, oh, you're not gonna be able to do this or that? That sort of thing? Yeah, some of course did. Um, but then some also said, if you ever need a babysitter or help, just let me know. And uh, of course, I had close friends. They were offering me this. And I was like, yeah, let's just see how it goes and what's going to happen. And uh, yeah, I think it worked out really well. I think I'm also like quite a cool, relaxed person. So I was not just suddenly like drinking latte macchiato and Prenzlauer work, you know, and just only talk about my child. I think it was really chilled and I feel like making music is such a big part of my life and it makes me happy. And I had this, um, yeah, my mom always told me like, yeah, do what makes you happy, that makes the kids happy. So, yeah. So how did it, you said you were doing gigs still a few months after she was born. But yes. Did it, did it end up changing your schedule at all anyway? Did you have to sort of rebuild after that? Um, I mean, I was out of like playing for 
yeah, pretty much nine, ten months, something like this. I mean, I stopped playing when, when I was like maybe four, fifth months pregnant because I was just too tired. And then uh, after I took, I took some time and then one of my friends, he was like, how are you doing? Uh, would you like to do a gig? And then I just was like, yeah, I can try. I mean, you never try, you never know. I did the gig and it was uh, it was quite fun, quite interesting. Yeah, but from there I started playing again. I mean, not every week, but uh, yeah, just playing around in Berlin and sometimes I had a gig in Munich or whatever, Cologne or something like this. Just like taking it easy, I would say, yeah. Did other people assume like, oh, well, Cinti has a baby now, so like we can't ask her? Like, was it other people's perceptions of the impact the child would have in your life? Did that influence uh, the gigs that you got? No, not really. I mean, once they saw me coming back and having the gig again, they were like, oh, yeah, so you played. You want to play at my party, maybe? And I was like, okay, if it's not like, uh, if my playtime is not 7 till 10, I can definitely do it, but... Uh, just give me an easy playtime and we try it out, you know, and it was fine. So it wasn't too hard to, to convince people to get No, back I mean, once they saw that, me, they saw me being back, they're like, yeah, cool, she's back, you know, like, get her on. <laughs> okay, so now we're in about 2010, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes. can you get us from 2010 when your daughter was born to about 2013, 14, uh, when you started Bessemotis? Because that's mm-hmm. when you, you finished your last... Uh, that's where we got in the history. Yeah, that's the next chapter, so to say, yeah. Um, I met the guys at the party, I think it must have been in 2011, late 2011, early 2012, I think. Um, yeah, I was was playing in Berlin, stuff like that. Then I had a gig. Um, it was a really funny place. I think it was this Yam oh, yeah. thing, this more like um, reggae kind of place. Yeah, it's... Um African Cultural Center yeah. or African Diaspora Cultural Center yeah, or something, something like, like that. like this, yeah. And one of my friends was was throwing a party there with a really decent lineup and he wanted to have me playing there. I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. So my playtime was a funny from like 8 o'clock in the morning till like 11 or something. And I didn't expect to be, and I didn't expect too much. Uh, yeah, when I arrived, only a few people were left, maybe like 150, 200 um, I mean that's quite much maybe 150 and the guys from Best Motors they were there as well and uh, I started playing and I mean I always played really groovy stuff and the guys before me they played a bit more like tech housey stuff loads of like snare roads and stuff like that so I started with a really really groovy track from like Oslo Records yeah um, I think and yeah it was super groovy and then um, yeah suddenly I was I was playing and then suddenly this guy came up to me like asking me in English or oh, what's the name of this track and I could hear from his accent that he was German. He was like, hey, man, let's just talk German, you know. And he was like, oh, you're German too. Cool, yeah. Uh, so he has the track. And I told him the name of the track. And he came up like two more times, I think. And I was like uh, Steve from the crew. And after that, we had a really good chat. I met the rest of the crew, like Diego Krause, um, um, Ed Herbst. Um, um, I think Albert Vogt wasn't there that day. Yeah, and some other friends that were hanging out. And um, yeah, so I became first friends with Stefan, with Stephen and Lieben. And also this was the time when Stadtbad not opened. I mean, they were throwing parties before, but this was just the time when Stadtbad and Wedding started to have proper parties every week and I had a residency there because also my husband was working there at the door um, yeah and I was playing at Stadtbad and um, I just put them on the guest list whenever I was playing and uh, so I met them several times we were going out together 
Also back then there was this really nice party called uh, Submarine at uh, Watergate on the Wednesday. Uh, yeah, where they just booked. Um, yeah, Ron Wilson was was throwing this party, and Ron Wilson was um, inviting lots of people like Brother. He had Italo Johnson and all these kind of people who were playing this new kind of house music. And yeah, we were hanging out there, and we became friends and then because of the fact I was playing music they sent me their own tracks and I was like really blown away and I was like wow okay that's it so I have to do something with the guys and then I was like okay I have saved up so much money and I could either spend it in shoes or clothes or I could do something useful with it so I was like, okay let's just try starting a label and when I made this offer to the guys I think they were like They didn't know what to say. They were like, oh, okay, shit, what do we have to do? And I was like, no worries. I worked also for labels and stuff like that for a long time. And um, we can, I just handle everything, you know. And then, yeah, we had the first release and found our dream distributor also through Italo Johnson. So thank you for that. And Would that be Diamonds and Pearls Yeah, that was then? Diamonds and Pearls, There yeah. Because we wanted to go with them. And I was just sending a message. And then they said, yeah, we're full, but just come around and I was like this sounds funny I mean we are full but just come around I mean I, I'm a mom I don't have time for like coffee you know went there and then Richard Zepetzauer was opening the door and he was a good friend I was like man I know this is coming from you and I was like yeah of course so they said okay we just try um, first record uh, was 300 copies I think was sold out within 24 hours at the distributor and we were like wow this is cool Is well, who was on the first record was that a um, split Between yeah. uh, the guys and the crew, yes, we wanted to. We all wanted to happen on the release, of course, because we were hungry. We just wanted to get our tracks out. So it was Steven and Levin, myself, Diego Krause, Ed Herbst, and um, we had another guy, uh, Daniel Behane. He was like part of the crew when we started, but uh, yeah, then later on he wasn't part of the crew anymore. He was wanted to do something else, and so we were five people on the first release. And I think we had a release party even at Prince Charles back then, if I'm right. Yeah, so, yeah, first release was like bomb. We got lots of requests, lots of new followers. And this is how it really started. And for the first time, I felt like being at home because suddenly I had my own baby and something that I thought it was really worth working my ass off for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've already described in like um, when you explained how the label started that it, it was your idea and you sort of brought it to the guys and you said, this is what we should do. You've already sort of illustrated a bit of your dynamic, um, but I'd like to get a little more into that. The The guys that you do best and modus with are, are slightly younger, right? Yeah, a little bit younger. There are, I think the difference is five years, five or six years. Yeah. Okay. But it's enough that, that you, you're sort of the matriarch of the crew not yes. only because you're the only woman but you I'm seem like yeah <laughs> Name it. I'm the boss <laughs> um so how is it like working then with um with that kind of crew what's your internal dynamic like um I mean I have them I'm the most experienced from like working in record stores also I I was working for Sony Music a little bit when I studied I worked for Undercover Music Group that was one of the big uh biggest so to say like a crew or um how do you call it um collaboration of labels with like um chris liebing's labels uh, label um 
Monica Cruz's label, then uh, yeah, loads of other labels from back then. And so I was very experienced working in this field. Uh, so I said, okay, guys, you don't have to worry about it. I have some money saved up. We're fine. I just organized everything. Just give me the tracks and we're fine. And then... Was it easy for them to get with that program? Uh, no, I think for them it was easy because they said, okay, cool. She has like loads of experience. We And they were just like new to the scene as well you know and they they were like kind of giving it into my hands and also I'm more like a, a maker I think I'm I mean I'm thinking about things but at the end of the day I'm like okay you never try you never know what I said before and I was like, yeah let's just do it I mean if the worst comes to the worst I burned like I mean back then how much did we spend a thousand euros a thousand five hundred which would have hurt but then on the other side you get lots of experience from that so I was like, okay if it if the worst comes to the worst, we burn some money, but then at least we know better the next time. But luckily, it was going really, really well. And from there, I was like, okay, this was really cool. Let's do the next one. And then So it seems like also that for them, they it was a nice deal because they got a platform to start releasing their music because they hadn't really released music before this, no, right? No, I think they had like one or two tracks on more like digital labels. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, they had friends that who liked their music but it was not like me who already had like a little bit of a name and like right. the Berlin scene or who had I mean I have so many contacts and such a good network also from like back in the days you know so for me it was I think it was a really really good combination so with me having the experience having the contacts with the guys being amazing producers and Steve being our uh, mastering mastermind and uh, yeah Diego also being a good producer and uh, so everyone brought something special in you know so that's why we worked so well in the crew in the crew yeah I guess I'm wondering like what what about um them when you met them and started started to get to know them what about them made you think okay these guys are the one instead of instead of saying um, I would like to start a label and put out your guys's music and it's going to be my label. Why did you decide these are the people that I want to let we're going to have like a team effort here, you know? Yeah, um, I'm more like a team player, I would say, of course, also in a group where it's very dynamic and where it's very um, democratic. Someone has to have the last words. And as a woman, I love to have the last word. <laughs> and um, yeah, for me, it was quite clear that we are a crew and that we decide democratically what's going to happen. And But then at the end of the day, I was always like, okay, no, from my experience, this is not cool. Let's do it this way. And then they said, okay, cool. Yeah, let's do it. And what about them seemed special to you as well? Like, what did they, what did you get from your relationship with them in terms of like, whether it would be knowledge about something technical or exposure to a different, slightly different perspective in music or a general rejuvenation in your approach to your music career or so on? Like, what was special about yeah. these guys? I think for me, it's always about character and they absolutely killed it for me. You know, they're like amazing guys and friendly, supportive, and we had such a good time. And yeah, for me, it was like, wow, this is like, the ones I want to work with. Also, the music was amazing. And they were, I don't want to say a bit lost, but I think I was the missing link mm. to them. So I made the team complete. So just felt right. You know, my stomach said, okay, this is the team. Now do it. And yeah. I was doing it. 
Yeah, sometimes all all the all a group of talented guys need is someone yeah. to organize it all. Yeah, yeah, true. Someone, yeah, they needed someone who's a bit like, okay, this is the way. Let's do it like this. But you also have ended up releasing some of your own productions on Bestimodus and the surrounding labels that you've launched since. Yes. So um, you did get more into producing at yes, this point again. in time, right? Yeah. Okay, so can you tell me about this sort of like second or third wind with getting into production? <laughs> yeah. So this is my third try. Uh, as I said, I was uh, making the switch from uh, from Logic to Ableton, uh, which opened a whole new horizon for me and a whole new door. So much easier to jam with Ableton and um, make your own tracks. And suddenly I had a goal. I had my own label where I could be free and release my own music. But still from not doing it too much in the previous years I had to get my skills back <clears throat> I also had to get my um, my workflow back which was quite hard because I was also rocking like a normal job I was doing I had my baby of course but I tried to spend as much time as I could in producing yeah from there I think you can see a really nice progression from the tracks from my first track I had there which was called uh, Chicago's Near I think I mean now when I listen to the track I was like okay I would definitely not do the mixing like this and also the drums sound a little bit like a wet fart but I think it's good to see this progression you know this is something like every producer should really go through every producer who's making their own music learn your skills do your own stuff it's so fucking satisfying when you get better just live in your studio bring your computer on tour stuff like that watch every tutorial get every advice from friends you can get that's really like the best advice i can give here um and then you can see that your the music is getting better you know you can see really like a progress from the 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 really first tracks i made then which were sounding they were sounding okay the ideas were good but then of course, you you could tell, okay, the drums could have had a bit more punch and then I should have used the saturator on the chords and stuff like that to make them a bit more crunchy and stuff. But uh, yeah, when I look back, it's like so satisfying to see how my tracks got better and the more work I put in, the better they got. So, so when you first, you've mentioned some tutorials and stuff like that. So it sounds like you had, um, you know, a foundation that you were working with at this point, but then you were you still had like a lot to learn in terms of t uh, switching DAWs and all that kind of stuff. Um, so can you tell me a little about how you taught yourself what you now know? Yeah, I started, I mean, we were in this kind of like new wave of house music and there were a lot of like amazing producers who threw out a lot of tutorials. And I think for me, one of the best ones was uh, Danny J. Lewis, like also a produ producer from the UK, also from the 90s. And he has his um, tutorial platform called, uh, how is it called? You should Google it. It's like Danny J. Lewis and I think it's professional uh, music tutorials.com, something like this. And he explains you some theory about like how a groove works and how it really works, then he's like uh, producing a whole track with you. You can really reproduce. And I believe that when it comes to making music, it's it's also about the technique, how you make stuff. And then you can decide if you're going to go a commercial way or if you're going to go a more underground way. But if you know how to make a chord and stuff like that, that's the foundation, that's the, the base you need. And I was pretty much like, I was like a 
like a sponge, you know, I was taking all this, his knowledge, uh, trying to get it into myself. Then there's this other great blog called The Attack Magazine, and they have this thing called Beat Dissected. So they explain you how to make a, uh, yeah, it's really funny. You can also learn how to make Burkhan Techno. Um, it's really called Burkhan Techno. Um, then you can also learn how to make um, a 90s house uh, beat or like a Chicago banger or like I think they have stuff like big room techno and stuff like this so they explain you how to process your drums and that was really really helpful for me um, to make my drums sound bigger and then of course I had like two three friends which are amazing producers and that's the good thing about being a woman in electronic music you have all these guys around you they're usually so much more skilled because uh, let's be honest it's still more like a thing for guys to sit in the studio and turn the knobs and stuff like that so I had all these amazing friends and they were like whenever you have a question we come around we can jam we show you some stuff and I took this offer and um, yes I was like a like a sponge you know just taking everyone's advice and stuff like that and this is where it started to get really a lot better my tracks and then I think it just was like two and a half years ago when I sat down, I think it was also around my birthday, and I was like, okay, let's just reflect my career. So my labels are selling shitloads of records. It's going really well. Uh, my DJing is super nice. It's picking up a lot, you know, and then um, everything is good, you know. Just I think my productions, they could still be a lot better. And then I customized my studio. Maybe when you followed me on Instagram, you saw <laughs> I tried to use a drill and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I customized my studio. So I have really the best sound in my studio now. Then also uh, I bought a bit of gear because I was getting bored of like just clicking the mouse and stuff like that. And I was really living in my fucking studio like in the last two years. I really wanted that to be better and... I was like in my studio like four days, five days a week. Um, of course, at the weekends I had to travel, brought my daughter to school at eight o'clock or brought her to kindergarten at eight o'clock, then just went straight to, to, to the studio and was really like working on tracks. And then they got better and I got more confident and stuff like that. And then, I don't know, I just wanted to do whatever, like a disco house track, then they had tons of tutorials. I just tried it out and translated it into my kind of taste and stuff. And yeah, this was really when my tracks got so much better. And I have to say at the level where I'm, I am now, you really have to live in your studio. You mentioned workflow earlier. So when you talk about workflow, are you talking about that when you would go into your studio, you're talking about also dedication and um, routine in a way yes. as being really important. So is there a routine workflow that you do when you make music? Like you always start with kick and snare or yeah. what have you, or start with a melody or something like, do you have a process when you sit down that you always do? Yes. I mean, usually my go-to instrument is my lovely 909. Uh, so I usually start with a simple beat there, really keep it simple then I get inspired a lot from like records from other people or going out or playing at the weekends um, yeah so usually I go there and I mean my main thing is house so I usually start with like a simple house uh, drum pattern then um, yeah I'm either like heard a track and I was like oh maybe let's do something like this really punchy or really um, like Chicago house where you don't necessarily have a bass line but you have like lower toms they're like juggling around a little bit and uh, or I just 
stumbled across a funny vocal and I'm sampling it and then I just go from there. But I would say I mostly start with the drums. Yeah, I think I mostly start with the drums. But I have to say in the last uh, couple of weeks, I uh, I was trying a little bit more of like UK Garage stuff. And then I started with the chords and the, the vocals and then put the drums underneath. So... Yeah, it really depends. But I would say in 90%, I would start with a, a drum loop. Yeah. Was it important to you when you were um, dedicated to improving your skills in music to create some kind of workflow, even if you ended up not following it now, like a way to structure the what you're learning? Because it's like learning a new language, teaching yourself yeah. a new language. Um, did that help provide some structure if you said, okay, every day I sit down and I do this? Or would it be more like... Today, I would like to think about how melody works or how to um, get a bass line sounding the way I want. Like, was it more about your process and your routine or about specific individual things you want to learn? I think it was a little bit of both because um, now I'm a single mom. My time is limited. For me, it was really important to get a certain kind of workflow where I go into the studio and... I'm not fiddling around too much. I'm, I'm like, okay, bam, drum loop, and then let's get it going from there. But then also I wanted to, I was like, okay, so this and that is my favorite producer. So why are his chords sounding so fucking good? Okay, so then I was like trying some tutorials or I was lucky enough to know the producer and he was like, yeah, it's just easy to do this and that. And then tried it out. So it was for me having a good workflow where I can get easily and very fast to the result mm -hmm. I want to have and also shaping up my technique. I think these were the two topics I was mainly focusing about. You also mentioned earlier, you mentioned um, like toms low in the mix that can provide a different uh, kind of feel in a beat and so on and that strikes me as the kind of observation that you can only start to make when you start to see these things in the music like mm. before you if you're not making music perhaps you just get a general impression of what the vibe is like in the track yeah. but then starting to make music you start to take that apart so I guess I'm asking did you how did um, making music change how you heard it how you listened to it and how you played it yeah, it's funny, when I started spending so much more time in the studio, whenever I was in the club listening to music, I always had this like Ableton skin in front of my in front of my eyes and I was like, okay, so now the kick drum is coming in and I saw like really the, the tracks coming in and it was really funny. I was always like getting mad about it. But yeah, it's really funny. It's um, I think before you want to make music yourself, you should listen a lot to music. I mean, I was pretty much studying like Kerry Chandler drums for... 20 years or so and now I'm like okay I know I understand what how he made it and what's happening and stuff like that and uh, yeah it's definitely changing uh, or producing music is also it hasn't really changed the way I'm DJing but I think it's more like a combination so whenever I produce music I make sure I have a nice DJ intro and stuff like that and also how things work in the club it's coming a lot from like listening to your music and um yeah but it's really funny sometimes i'm like i listen to a track and i'm like oh yeah he used this and that you know and then it's like oh yeah he doesn't have a baseline because it's like uh whatever paul johnson chicago stuff and he only has like some really banging like uh toms underneath so that really make the groove and stuff like that so yeah it's really funny how sometimes you get 
from producing you understand some certain tracks kind of better if that makes sense yeah it's for sure yeah yeah you also mentioned that you started using hardware like you transitioned from just uh yes. going from logic to ableton to using hardware yeah. so how how deep into the process of sharpening your production skills were you when you started using hardware and why did you decide to do that yeah i think i had a good workflow and my production skills were put on the next level and then but then i felt like uh, okay, Ableton is nice, it's cool, and but to be honest, I was mostly sitting there clicking the mouse, and I was like, this is not really, it's not making so much fun, and like making music is should make fun, you know, it's like, for me, it's like, if it doesn't make fun anymore, I think I would quit, so, and I was like, ah, now it's really about like fulfilling all of my dreams, my, my tracks are getting better, so maybe I should just invest in a little bit of hardware, you know, and then I had a friend uh, from, from Paris, and um, I always wanted to have a 909, so, and, uh, but he also makes music only with hardware, and I was in Paris with him, and in his studio, and he was like, yeah, wait until you work with the 808 it's so much nicer and he had a shower and I was like yeah, just switch it on uh, making some music I was like wow this is amazing you know shit forget about the 909 I, I want to have an 808 okay back in Berlin I checked eBay Kleinanzeigen like this eBay secondhand thing and I was like I'm sure there is no 808 there uh, let's just try and of course there was one 808 there and I was like no no bad luck I mean <laughs> so kind of bad luck for me and uh, I was like okay should I have to buy it so I bought it and yeah then again I was pretty much sleeping in bed with my 808 because I was uh, I was trying it out so much and then I was like okay I think I should get a 909 as well and then um, again I was super lucky one of my friends he was um, giving up on his studio or he I think he had two studios and they and they were giving up on one of the studios so I bought his 909 and it's I have to say it's so much fun I mean let's be honest if you want to make music you don't need all this hardware shit you can make dope tracks just with the computer if you know what to do to make them sound crispy and stuff but once again it's so much fun you know when you can jam you when you can twist the knobs a bit um also i had the the the, the drum machines on the rack means i had to stand up and that's a different kind of like making music you stand up you can move your legs you can almost dance a little bit and it's like we're making dance music we're not making like sitting on the chair clicking the mouse music you know so it that completely changed my, my workflow again. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff I need to to learn with instruments, and but it's so much fun. And another funny thing was that now uh, a lot of people saw that I was uh, renovating my studio, was getting a little bit of gear and stuff. And I have a lot of friends, like they made music in the 90s, but they stopped. And like, especially one friend, he was like, you know what, my cellar is full of gear, you know, from the 90s. I don't need it anymore. Uh, do you want to have it? I mean... Not for free, but I'd rather park it there. You use it, you're making something nice out of it. And I was like, yeah, just bring it over. I was like, let's see what he has, like stuff from the 90s. Haha, <laughs> It's from the last century. And he brought me like a Juno 106, you know, all the classic stuff and Oberheim. And, and I was like, wow, okay, this is amazing, you know. And that's also another thing that pushes me because he's trusting me, giving, his, giving me all his gear that's worth a lot of money. So he was putting it into my studio and um, that also pushed me again you know like uh, learning all the stuff making more music and learning how to use all these instruments and stuff like that and again it's it's so much fun to discover this and it's also like sometimes I'm in the studio and I'm like yeah this must have been like 
when they made music in the 90s, you know, discovering all these machines, they were new, and then they made a beat with it, and then they were like, wow, that's it, you know, this is when, like, house music was born or whatever. And I sometimes feel like this, although I'm just, like, a copycat or whatever you want to call it, but it's like, I have this new instrument, and I'm, like, making the first beat or playing the first chords, and I'm like, wow, that's really a different, another level, you know? And it's, uh, yeah, it's so much fun. It can kind of simplify things, too, also, if you think yeah. about, like, all the possibilities in a DAW. And, I mean, people make this point a lot that restrictions, the restrictions of hardware can be beneficial. But yes. even with something like, let's take the velocity of a drum hit. With Ableton, you've got, like, 127 different options for what you can set it at. Yeah. But on a drum machine, you've got, like, two, right? You've got, like, soft and hard. Yeah. And when you realize that you're like, oh, well, all the old stuff that I'm referencing, they were just using two velocities it can yeah. kind of make all this stuff that you're learning seem much more simple or like when you realize that the juno 106 is going to you don't have to torture a soft synth into yeah. making a juno 106 sound you just like turn on you're like oh that's what that person yeah. used or yeah. something was it did it also feel like when you were learning music that it sort of like unlocked the um the when you're listening to it you you can now hear like different synth sounds and and name all those ones and did yeah. that process of learning all those machines help you make music as well yes as well yeah definitely now you can be like okay he used like an 808 or 909 you could or this is like an m1 sound or uh, whatever the names of all the other instruments are and uh yeah and i really like the the fact that it's limiting me because while i was working with ableton I don't know. I have so many friends that work in the music industry. They're like, you can have this software and that and just try it out. And people are so friendly, you know. It's For me, it uh, has been such, or it's still it's such, a, such a pleasure to be like a woman in electronic music because I have all these friends, you know. They are so helpful and so friendly, giving me all this stuff and like try it out. Really, if you have questions, just come to me, call me. And yeah, it's really nice. And um, yes, I've got all these software synths and like uh, plugins and this and that. And for like super, like not so much money, sometimes for free and as a gift. And uh, but then I felt like whenever I was going to the studio, okay, so which one of the three trillion VSTs shall I yeah. use? While with the hardware, I was like, okay, I only have the 808 today, so mm, let's do it like this. And also, it makes the tracks more musically because you're limited. While with the software synth, you can do crazy things you cannot necessarily do as a musician because you only have two hands, five fingers each. If you know what I mean, you know, sometimes with software, you can just like click a dot with the mouse where as a as a proper musician, you wouldn't you would never do that because you don't have a third arm, you know, so it sounds yeah. more musically if that makes sense what I'm saying and um, yeah so that totally changed it for me so yeah so you mentioned this as sort of like a, a, a one of the benefits of being a, a woman in a male-dominated field but yeah. um, we touched briefly earlier on a on an aspect of that that might not be so easy for for a woman which is that you are a mother now yeah um so did and you were also learning to make music while you were raising your child yeah so can you talk to me a little about your experience like with motherhood and DJing and we already covered that it was easy for you to get back into DJing but yeah. is it hard to maintain this kind of lifestyle while you have a, a child yes I mean I don't want to lie and say everything is like sunshine and stuff like that especially when I split up with my ex and 
um, I don't know how to say, it's like he's not taking care so much. So I had to find my own solution for it. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I have an amazing au pair. She's taking care of, of my daughter and I try to have everything balanced. So not going too crazy with the gigs, being away for like three weeks and stuff. So this is fine. I, f I found my way to like combine everything. But uh, there was a point at my career, like I think it was also like four years ago when I had an au pair, but she wasn't really good. And then she quit like last minute and stuff. And I had to find a new one. And I was like, I'm so tired of doing that, you know. And then with the accident work really well, I was like, maybe I should just go back to my normal job, you know. And uh, then I had um, some stuff, some really bad stuff in my family happening with my mom died, you know. So I had no one to like, like help and uh, I mean my dad would always come and stuff but it's a different thing having a mom or a father you know helping you and stuff like that so I was really like struggling and I was like yeah maybe I should just give it back just go back to my normal developer job just be a mom and just be like a normal person so to say but I was like no and I remembered my mom said there's always a solution for everything so I was like okay trying to get my strength back okay I need a new pair And uh, luckily, the sister of my ex, she, um, her best friend, she has an agency for au pairs. And I called her and I was like, really, I need help, you know. And she was like, call her. She gets the best girls for, for you. And really, since then, I'm working with her. And she always gets really the best girls who really fit to me, to us. And since then, it's going really, really well. But I have to say, my daughter is 10 now. And um, she gets to this kind of kind of age where girls become women and um, I mean I try to bring her to my gigs to the easy ones where it's not too much traveling but I can also tell that sometimes she's like because we are such a good team sometimes she's like oh mom I don't want you to go but then I have to go and, and, and play Friday Saturday coming back on Sunday so that's really tough and sometimes it breaks my heart but I think my dad was saying the other day that um, I shouldn't be too sad about it because I mean, if I wouldn't travel for DJing, I would probably have my own software company and then I would have to travel during the week and a lot of other people do it. And that's how it is, especially for women. If you want to combine motherhood and a job, it's still the toughest thing in the world, I think. But yeah, you can find solutions and my daughter is fine with it. And uh, I try to to um, maybe take the latest flight and come back early or um, she's coming with me. So I think now everything is perfectly balanced but uh, it can it can take some time to um to 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 find your balance and to find your the solution that fits the most to you and your life situation and as as she gets to her teenage years i'm scared <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and you work in nightlife which is often a taboo uh subject for between parents and kids um how How are you going to um, tackle that or introduce her to this part of your life in a healthy way? Mm, I mean, she obviously knows what I'm doing because now YouTube is a really big thing for the kids. And I have my boiler room on YouTube, of course. Uh, so she knows what I'm doing. And um, But I think I was always really responsible with drinking and all the other kind of stuff. So I'm not scared to introduce my daughter to that because music and going out and all this lifestyle is such a big thing in my life and I love it so much still after all these years I have to say and um, I think it could be fun to bring my daughter to like the first gigs I mean she's been 
uh, on two gigs was a festival outside where it was cool to bring kids and stuff. Um, so she knows what I'm doing and she likes it. She's really into dancing. But then, of course, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's also like lots of crazy stuff going on. And, and on one side, I want to have... I want her to make her own experiences but on the other side I'm scared but if we stay being such a great team and we talk about everything I think I'm not scared at all would you teach her to DJ have you already taught her anything like <laughs> DJing or producing uh, oh it's really funny because she was using one of my um, I had a push yeah I got a push from Ableton and uh, I used it and it's all like colorful and stuff and it was so cute she wanted to try it out and I mean, she was just like fiddling around and I made a video of it and one of my friends, Mike Huckabee, saw it and he was like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I'm teaching the kids in Detroit. I'm teaching them, uh, giving them machine lessons. I want to do a machine lesson with your daughter. And she was like seven years old. Uh, and I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. And so they had a machine lesson and it was really funny because, yeah, my daughter, she's she's more into dancing, but really she loves music and like moving around and stuff that's where it all starts yeah that's where it all starts you know once you start uh moving your uh your foot to like a beat then you're lost and um <laughs> yeah so they had a machine lesson together which was so cute and funny and what 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 mike is teaching the kids is not how the machine works it's more about rhythm it's about uh okay you have a kick drum here you have a snare then he puts the metronome on and then my daughter had to pro had to um press the kick drum and then the, the, the snare drum or the clap and try to make it fit to like the metronome. Mm -hmm. And then like the hardest part was to bring in the hi-hats because it's not on the right. one or two. And I tried it as well. And I have to say it took a little while. And Mike was like, yeah, someone has to work on the hi-hats. So I was like, yeah, man. <laughs> it was funny. But since then, she, I mean, Mike was offering another, uh, another session and stuff. But my daughter was like, no, I think for now I'm fine. And um, yeah, I just let her let it grow like naturally. I don't want to push her into it. But if she wants to to try it out again, of course, I, I'm going to do it. But uh, yeah, for now, she's like, she's into this German Justin Bieber. I don't know how this happened. But um, yeah, she's shaping Who's up the German Justin Bieber. Oh, uh, God, we go to the concert when it's her birthday. I'm already scared. It's Mike Singer. Mike Singer. Okay, yeah. I'm yeah. have to check this out. <laughs> I didn't know Germany had one. Had yeah, yeah. And it's, it's funny. So... Yeah, if she wants to try it out, of course, I'm going to show her. But I'm not like, oh, you have to be a DJ because uh, I'm doing it. You have to be a producer because I'm doing it. And yeah. Or or the exact opposite, rather. Don't do it. Don't, Don't go do down it. this no, road. Go be a software developer. Yeah, or just be a doctor or something yeah. useful, you know. <laughs> um, well, before we wrap up here, we didn't quite fully get into all your current projects yet. So I just wanted to touch on all that. So we we talked about Bessemotis, but you also have a family of labels around that. Yes. As well as other projects. So can you tell us a little about like what you've got going on and what you work on these days? Yeah. From starting Besta Modus, it grew into like an incredible, almost ridiculous uh, amount of other labels. So we started Besta Modus um, only for the crew. Then uh, Diego Krauser, he came up to me and he was like, look, I have so much more music on my computer. I really want to release it, but what can we do? And we were like, okay, maybe we should start a label just as a self outfit release, you know, just with your music. And he was like, yeah, that's great. And uh, so we started Unison Wax. Um, we have the seventh released now. Uh, this is like 
just mainly for Diego. Um, then we are in a group of like amazing producers. Um, so a lot of our friends that were sending us tracks and I was like, shit, we have to do something with that. Uh, I was like, okay, guys, what about starting a sub-label and uh, just release music from our friends, support them, you know, just stronger up the crew and stuff. And so we started Beste Freunde, that means uh, best mates. Uh, um, so we started that. Then I had some... I became friends with like uh, like a duo of like two brothers and they um, they made also amazing music like a bit more stripped back and stuff and um, yeah they moved to Berlin and I was like yeah maybe we should do something together and I just uh, and I wanted to have something on the side for my original crew because it can be quite time consuming discussing in a democratic way what's going to be in the next record, what's the color of the next record. So I was like, want to be a bit more free. So I'm just going to do a side project with these other guys. And so we had uh, We Are House. Also had a little party thing going on at Griesmühle back then. And so that grew like really naturally. But then, as I said before, like two and a half or two years ago, I started making so much more music. And also I'm coming from this background from playing five hours on the second floor all night long so I um, I mean my main thing is house music but then I also love disco I love a bit more like minimal to start at the beginning of the set maybe some groovy Detroit techno stuff some electro stuff and I was like I just don't want to limit myself to like 90s house I just make everything I want so I had so much more music on my computer sitting and I was like uh, this music needs to be out so um, the best two tracks I sent to my favorite label unfortunately they were a bit too slow with like replying to me and I was like I can't wait any longer I mean when I released the tracks they were like shit we should have taken it I was like man I told you but um, yeah anyway so I was okay I want to have my own baby but I'm like completely free independent uh, so I started Crystal Grooves and I think it was the best idea I had in years and that's like a pun on your last name right yeah because crystal, my last name is crystal, crystal. and uh, 803 is the room number of my studio and grooves because I like it groovy and uh, yeah so it was a really good um, decision to do that because yeah the first release was just played by everyone I mean uh, Gerd Jansen uh, Midland Black Madonna and you know all their opinion leaders and um and whatever kind of names and I've got sh I saw shitloads of records it's like really amazing and then I was like okay cool let's let's rock this you know let's do this so is this kind of your main project right now that's my baby yeah and also uh I hope this doesn't sound negative or anything but this is I can do whatever I want and I wanted to be a bit more free because with best models and being so democratic and everything it was kind of slow with like uh, our output and with like uh, crystal grooves I can really have a steady steam of like releases because I want to keep the ball rolling means I want to have a release and then people like and it's like wow boom and then like let's say like three months four months is like really a healthy uh, healthy amount of time to like re release the next one so I had a release on house music then uh, for the UK then uh, had the next crystal grooves and I'm a bit more free so I can keep the ball rolling a bit more and um, yeah I think uh, it's really good to do it like in my way and like have it a bit more like a steady output yeah you have a crazy work ethic and so you yeah. know no one no one can get in your way here you can yeah, go at the pace you want yeah it's crazy but then once you start 
I mean, really with the first Crystal Groove uh, record, it was played by so many people. I got so much uh, positive reaction and stuff like that. And suddenly I was also getting recognized by like bigger DJs who played my music, who shared my music. And then I got lots of other requests for releasing music. And yeah, I had a release on Aus Music. Um, I'm also going to do my album on Aus Music next year. Another milestone, yes. And um, yeah, it was funny because I was also my workflow was, was, was so fast. So I was making so much more music. Uh, but then, of course, I couldn't release like everything on Crystal Goose. Also, I wanted to have a bit of space in between. But for some reason, this first half of the year was crazy with like a release on Freddie K's label which is a bit more raw Chicago house acid kind of stuff and uh, something for the techno heads if you uh, if you want to say that then of course the release on house music then I had um, a remix for Detroit Swindle which was getting quite big and yeah I have now a lot of other requests also from some of my favorite labels finally um, yeah I'm working on that but um it was good that there was school holidays now because I really had to slow it a bit down because it's good to release a steady amount of like good tracks, but then you don't also want to overdo it. And then there's like the Cinti overkill. And also uh, it feels like I'm constantly like, I'm a salesman, you know, I'm constantly like, buy this record, go to my gig, buy my t-shirt and yeah. do this. <laughs> and, you know, after some time you get really get on people's nerve and I don't want that to happen like too soon. Yeah. So on top of all of this, you have at least one other project, which is Elevate. Can you tell us about Elevate? Yeah, so Elevate is another uh, funny idea I had because um, I love to network with uh, people. I want to. Um, I love to support other people. So we had this crew of friends with amazing labels, but I felt a bit like everyone was in their own kind of fight, you know, in their own kind of bubble, and it was like, why are we not combining the things, you know? Uh, combining the forces, uh, try to be bigger, support each other more. Uh, let's do like a combination of all of our labels and find a name for it and just support each other more. So we started Elevate. And actually it was just like an online online record store or an online platform where we sold our records and merchandise and also the stuff from our friends. But then um, we had the stuff at our manufacturer that is handled with care. And they said, if you get more records, then sorry, this office is too small. And I'm like, okay, shit, I'm going to bring everything home put it into my daughter's room and it was really funny. It was getting so much. Even my daughter was like, mom, if you put more records in my room, I swear I'm, I'm moving out. And she was only nine. And I was like, okay, maybe I should look for like a storage room. And then uh, the woman next to my house, she had this shop and I asked her a while ago about studio spaces. And she said, uh, I have nothing, but I keep your number. And then she was like out of the blue. She was calling me. She was like, look, I have this. I want to get become smaller. You can have the room in the back. And I was like, wow, this is really next to my house. I live in f uh, 25 stores in 24. Um, so I'm like, cool, I'm going to take it. And then I took it and she, her daughter was 18, 19. She moved out and she was like, look, I live upstairs, but uh, I think I'm going to move with the whole office upstairs. Do you want to have the whole shop? And I was like, Ugh. okay. So I was like, oh, shall I open a record store? Oh my God. Then I called the guys like, hey, new idea we're opening a record store and they were like you shouldn't drink at daytime you know and I was like I'm not drunk <laughs> but I have this opportunity and they were like okay let's try and I was like okay let's try uh, yeah no we have a record store but since it was not planned I have to say at the moment it's a bit chaotic um, also to keep the cost low we have friends who work for booking agencies they're renting a desk space uh, during the week and we now have to find out how we're gonna 
do it. I mean, we do most stuff online, but obviously we also want to open the shop. I'm not there the weekend, so I'm trying to open maybe on the Wednesdays, Wednesday evenings, something like this, and then maybe find someone who wants to work there on the Saturday. So we are at least open two days. I'm also, I'm there. I would like to sell some records and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's another funny adventure. It's nice to, and it's really funny. I thought about this. It's like going back to my roots. You know, I did this like 20 years ago and now I'm there where where it all started yeah. somehow yeah it's really funny funny how things work out that yeah. way and even though it's a return it still seems like a lot is um is in flux in your life and changing still like we've yeah. gone through so many chapters just in this conversation and so I guess I'm wondering what's the next chapter what's in what's in motion yeah I mean I did a lot of changes in the last one or two years as well because I had the feeling I only want to work with the best people with the best team in my back so um i was doing a few a few changes and uh, i used to be in the uh, resident at watergate also in the agency but then i felt like it's maybe not the right place for me to be also like music wise we were going in two different directions so i was like okay maybe it's not the best agency for me personally uh to work with so i changed my booker now we really have the best booker in the world um and everything is going really well. Then um, I have one person who's taking care of my PR stuff because, uh, yeah, let's be honest, you can make the dopest track, tracks if no one knows about it. Then, uh, yeah, so you have to get your stuff a bit out. We grew together as a nice team. So, yeah, I'm just currently trying to put a nice team together. So my hard work gets noticed also there might be a few changes with the labels maybe um i'm definitely shutting down we are house because i feel it needs to be treated more carefully but i don't see myself there also with the sound and stuff which is not a bad thing i'm just trying to keep it realistic and try to channel all my power also i had this radio show at uh, a public station called fritz which unfortunately i had to give up because i felt like with traveling and stuff like that, I, I felt like I, I lost a lot of the quality and I'm really a big fan of like giving the best quality to everything or giving my best with everything. And so I said, okay, I have to put this on the side. It's it's not working anymore. So now I have more time and yeah, the studio time is always holy for me. So I want <clears throat> to spend as much time as I can with this and then yeah, try to improve the shop. That's also another goal. And yeah, just uh, get better with the with the labels. Also opening up a little bit more for, because we are vinyl only so far, but with my new label, I opened up also for the digital world and it's bringing so many like new fans because um, we are lucky in Berlin. We have like 3 million record stores. You can, it's the best place to, to buy records and it's also the best place maybe to play records so but you have a lot of a uh, lot of followers from like south america they for them it's too expensive they don't have turntables they, it's yeah they don't have the money so we want to open up for that as well a little bit and yeah just trying to shape a nice team around me and just make as much music as i can yeah working on my album is the next thing got some nice cool remix requests and 
yeah, I think it's it's uh, going into a right direction at the moment. It certainly sounds like it. There's so much going on that it yeah. makes sense that sometimes you need to pare down to focus your energy in yeah. the specific channels. Yeah, especially because also I have my daughter and I want to have spent some quality time with her. So I think but now where and now it's really I have the best time management. Also um, have another friend uh, working for me as a little bit as an assistant. So he's doing a lot of administrative stuff stuff and uh, that's also helping a lot so I don't have to sit there and fill in lists with like funny stuff from the label so um, yeah it's it's going really well at the moment yeah it's good so you're running an empire now it sounds yes, like the one woman empire someone said in an interview it's I quite like that <laughs> no it's a it all came naturally and uh, yeah it's so much fun to be my own boss and just put in so much work and see it's finally yeah hard work pays back that's that's really how it is for me personally.